Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Here's today's message from Ryan Gagler. Hey, isn't it so good to worship together? Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat? Well, good evening and welcome to Riverview Church. And of course, a big warm welcome to any of our guests joining us with us online. And hello to you in the room as well. So nice to see you on this Sunday evening. And if we've never met before, my name is Ryan and I'm on the team here. And it really is my privilege to get to continue our series, Start Strong. And I wanted to just give you a little bit of a disclaimer right at the very beginning of this message that... Tonight will probably be a little less preaching and this will be a little bit more like a family conversation. So let's just imagine we've all just walked in the proverbial living room of Riverview Church and we're gonna have um, a family conversation and I hope you're uh, in with me for that. And I'm not sure what comes to mind for you when you, you think of the, this idea of start strong, but whenever we've mentioned it, the thing that has come straight to mind for me is those little starting blocks right at the start of a 100-metre sprint. You know the ones I mean? Do they have a name? Starting blocks? Maybe. That would make sense. And, uh, you know, it's often said throughout the Scriptures and in the walls of church that, the, that faith and life is a little bit like a running race, Right? Uh, You know, as I mentioned that, you might have scriptures come to mind, scriptures like Philippians 3, forgetting that which lies behind and pressing forward to that which lies ahead. I take hold of the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward. You know, running analogies. Or maybe you're thinking of Hebrews 11. What does that say? For since we are surrounded, I know you knew that, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, get rid of all the stuff that weighs us down and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so we're familiar with uh, the language of faith being linked with the language of running. And I, I think often when we consider the journey of faith and the running race associated with it, we often do so with a little bit of an individualistic mindset. We think of it as our race, right? You've heard that before. Run your race, stay in your lane. We think of it as, you know, I'm running my race to gain my prize. But I just want to suggest to us this evening that the race of faith, I believe, is a little bit more dynamic and inclusive than that. You see, we don't run our race alone and we don't run our race for ourselves. And so today we wanted to take a couple of moments to have a bit of a family conversation about passing on the baton. Passing the baton of faith. Just a quick show of hands so I know. How many people in the room are parents? Just give me a wave. How many people in the room have friends? Just give me a wave. Yeah, good. If you're not waving, we'll sort you out with some later. And uh, how many people in the room were once a kid? Yeah, good. Hopefully no one skipped that stage. You know, this is, I think, an important conversation for each and every one of us, doesn't matter what stage of life we are, what it looks like to pass on the baton. And I remember when I was about 11 years old, I remember getting really excited and all warmed up for a primary school athletics carnival. How many people remember doing athletics carnival? Now, I was in Shortland, which was the yellow house, and a really pale kid like me wearing all yellow, that's a sight to behold, and uh, I wasn't the best runner 
still not, but I wasn't the best runner and I got asked to participate in the four by 100 meter relay and I was pretty thrilled with that. And so I was getting warmed up and ready to go for the running race and they selected me to be the first runner, which I thought was very kind. Then I realized they normally get the first one out of the way, the worst runner out of the way. But I I was ready to go. I was ready to contribute to the team and and get us a gold medal or the equivalent for primary school kids. And I remember starting off the race and I was so surprised. I actually got out of the blocks well and I was thrilled when I looked across at your competitors. I don't think you meant to do that in a 100 metre sprint. But I was coming in second place and I was really nervous about the baton handover because I'd seen people stuff it up before. But I managed to hand over the baton well and we were in second place and I was pretty thrilled with myself. And our second runner was my friend Patrick, and I remember he was quite a good runner, and so he got out of the blocks really quick as well, and he managed to get us into first place until the transition between him and the third runner was a little bit of a car crash. And I remember watching on as there was a bit of a stumble, and then the baton hit the floor. Yeah, I know, you can feel sorry for me. And uh, inevitably, we uh, finished crossing the line by walking over together because we were a bit of a shambles. But I remember, even as an 11-year-old, being a little bit annoyed and thinking to myself, what was the point in, in running that race well if the baton ended up on the floor, if we didn't even get to finish the race well? And, and you know what? I, I think running a great race is all well and good, but genuinely, what is the point? if those around us don't get to also run a great race. And I really do believe starting strong, the the series we're talking about, starting strong means starting with the end in mind. And I think it would be a great shame if many of us here in this room were to come to know Christ, to experience His love and His grace and His mercy, to learn many lessons of faith, to be formed into maturity, yet fail to pass any of that on. And I don't mean just generationally, I don't mean just to kids, but to people that we are in, in life with, in our community at work. You see, we, we see this illuminated for us in the Scriptures as we are introduced to uh, Moses' young assistant, Joshua. And Joshua had a rich relationship with God, and after a lifetime of following uh, God, he was able to grasp some pretty profound truths and, and some amazing wisdom. And subsequently, Joshua, just like Moses had before him, understood the importance of passing on the baton of faith. And he, you might well know this passage of Scripture, he declared that for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the impact of his leadership is that the nation of Israel would remain faithful to God. However, somewhere along the lines the baton passing stopped and a faithful legacy broke down after that generation died. And parents and communities, for whatever reason, failed to uh, teach their children and empower a new generation to know God. And we read these heartbreaking words in Judges 2. It says, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors or, or passed on, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And and I mean, we are talking about a generation that ran a pretty amazing race. They saw God do some amazing things. They saw him provide again and again, yet for whatever reason, the generation that would proceed from them didn't even know God. The baton hit the floor and that new generation would need to relearn a lot of the lessons that the nation of Israel had already learned. 
And, you know, if I'm really honest with you today in this family conversation, I think that sucks. I think that's heartbreaking. And I think it's actually a little bit wasteful. And I think it's important that we never assume that those who come after us will just accidentally inherit faith and wisdom. You see, passing the baton of faith does not happen by mistake and it does not happen in isolation. Passing the baton of faith requires partnership and prayerful intentionality and I'll tell you what, it requires a huge dose of the grace of God. You know, every generation and I think every person needs to come to know God for themselves. And we as God's representatives, I believe, are the ones to prepare the way. I mean, Jesus says in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, He says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And you know what? That's an amazing mandate, and that's an amazing mission. But I think so often we get caught up with that mandate and mission that we forget what's right in front of us. You know, we want to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, but what would it look like for us to make disciples in our own homes? What would it look like for us to make disciples within our own churches, in our own communities, in our own workplaces? You know, I would actually suggest that sometimes it's easier to go off to foreign lands. You tell them about Jesus, but you don't need to put in the lifelong work of consistent character and perseverance and relational uh, investment. Uh, It requires uh, so much more. And so I would love for us to consider as a community of faith, what does it look like for us as Riverview Church to pass the baton well. And I need you to understand right from the outset that I'm by far an expert in any of this. I mean, there is no perfect formula. There's no simple silver bullet. Uh, You know, there's no magic trick where a young child all of a sudden turns into this amazing, wise, faithful disciple. This all happens by the grace of God. But yet after working with young people for the last 11 years, I have observed some common principles and practices that seem to be advantageous to passing the baton of faith. And I'd love to just share some of those with you. And remember, this is not just about kids. This is not just about the next generation, but everybody. And so firstly, as you are passing the baton of faith and of wisdom, I would so strongly encourage you to consider your example. Your example. You know, it's often said that actions speak louder than words. So what example Are you setting? You know, if little eyes were to look on at your behavior, your language, your heart, what do they see? Do they see words that match your action? And the gospel writer John exhorts us to embody what we say when he says in 1 John, dear children, talking to adults, let us love not with words and speech, but in actions and in truth. In other words, let your example do the talking. Set an example of faith, of hope, of love. Set an example of devotion to Jesus. Set an example of perseverance and a great work ethic. Set an example because your example will bear fruit. I remember sometime uh, last year, I was over at my brother Zach's house and I remember we were watching the footy. I think it was the Eagles uh, playing Collingwood, which was quite a controversial game. And I remember kind of chuckling to myself as I saw uh, my nephew, Zach's oldest, Judah, start to yell at the TV. And he was vocalising his disdain at the umpiring performances and he was saying things like, oh man, oh come on, or you can't be serious, just like John McEnroe. 
And I kind of laughed to myself, but I thought, man, where have I seen that before? And as I reflect, I think to my oldest brother uh, watching his beloved Chelsea lose, that's exactly how he would behave in front of the TV. And I thought to myself, you know, at no point did Zach sit down with Judah and say, hey, when the ref makes a bad call, here's what you say. No, that didn't happen. It happened through like osmosis, right? It happens because he sees the example set for him. Monkey see, monkey do, right? And so if the people, and this might be hard-hitting, if the people around you were to become like you, is there anything that would alarm you about that? I mean, Jesus understood this, right? And this is why he didn't just teach. He embodied things. He showed us. So Jesus didn't just talk about humility. He got out a bowl and he washed his disciples' feet. And I really believe that just like Jesus, we ought to embody and exemplify faith and wisdom. And the second thing I'd encourage you to consider when passing on the baton of faith is your consistency. Your consistency. What are you consistently valuing or devaluing? What are you saying again and again? What are you doing again and again? What are you giving consistency to? And this could be consistency with your example, or this could be consistency with the boundaries that you're setting, consistency in your words. I mean, again, Jesus understood this perfectly. Teaching, he knew that teaching is not a one-time thing. Teaching is a rinse and repeat kind of thing. You do the same things again and again. In fact, Jesus pretty much had one sermon. How would that be on a Sunday? Every week, the same sermon. The kingdom of heaven is here. And that's what he would say every time. And then he would expound upon that, what that might look like or how we might interact with that very kingdom. You see, when it comes to passing on the baton, when it comes to raising disciples, I believe consistency is key. But if we're really honest, consistency is really hard. You know, to maintain consistency, to be a person of integrity and consistent character and speech, that's difficult. But it's the call of Christ towards maturity and steadfastness. So if you are if people were to observe what you do or what you say consistently, what do they see? What kind of baton are you passing on? And thirdly, the last consideration as we pass on the baton of faith is permission. Permission. What kind of permission are you giving? And this might sound a little unusual, but I think this is actually critical to passing the baton well. You see, If we are to pass the baton well, what needs to happen is inherited truth needs to become discovered revelation. So a generation will need to come to know God for themselves. And I think what often happens when we pass over the baton of faith is we run and we hand it over and we go, yes, they've got hold of it. But then what happens is we keep holding on to it as well. And we don't let them actually pick it up for themselves. We don't actually let them explore for themselves. And, and I think it's so important that we, as people who are passing on the baton, give permission for those very things. You know, I don't know why that is. I don't know why we don't want to let go of it. Maybe it's pride or fear for what might happen. Or we think that they need to discover God in the exact same we did, so we kind of way that we did, so we force it upon them. But I really believe if we're going to pass on the baton well, we need to create safe spaces and give permission, permission for our young people or permission for our friends to be honest and ask questions, permission for them to make mistakes and get it wrong and fail, permission for them to say the wrong things at certain times. You see, telling people what to think is one thing, but 
Having them and empowering them to think for themselves is a whole other thing. And I really do believe that discovery happens through permission. Uh, Many years ago, I I worked for Apple, and one of the parts of the job was doing personal training sessions, often for elderly people. And uh, one thing that they would say to you again and again, and it kind of became a phrase that was mentioned all the time, was to sit on your hands. And it sounds a little strange, but the idea is simply that if an elderly person was to come in and try and learn something from us, the moment that I took hold of their device, the moment I grabbed hold of the mouse, I was disempowering them from learning and growing and discovering. And so they would tell us again and again to sit on your hands. Sit on your hands as they do it for themselves. Coach and course correct, encourage, and and let them discover because the moment I grab hold of the mouse, I'm disempowering them. You know, I think that's really important for us to be doing as we pass on the baton of faith. And Jesus did that all the time. He would set the example and then he would just let them go off, let his disciples go off and figure it out. He'd give them permission. He didn't wait till they were ready. He didn't wait till they had all their ducks in a row. Uh, He just allowed them to get hands-on with real-life experiences. You know, he wasn't helicopter parenting their way through it. He made them learn on the job. And if we're honest, sometimes it went well and sometimes it didn't. But you know what happened every time? Learning, growth, discovery. And you see, the hope and the prayer is that as we do this well, as we pass on the baton of faith through our example, through our consistency, through our permission, the hope and the prayer is that we would see resilient disciples being raised. Young disciples who know Jesus for themselves and begin the lifelong pursuit of His way and His kingdom. People of strong faith and of deep conviction. People who understand their place in the world in light of Christ. People who uh, wanna know Him more and more. And you know what? I think it's through those kind of disciples that the world is transformed. But unfortunately, we haven't been as good at this as we we could be. Uh, In in February of 2018, uh, David Kinnanman and the team at Barna Research conducted a study of 18 to 30-year-olds who grew up within a Christian environment. And uh, some of their findings can be found in the book Faith for Exiles. And this has been a really helpful resource for us here at Riverview. And the results are... Staggering, and they're, they're actually quite challenging. Barna found that of the thousands and thousands of young adults that they surveyed, only 10% were formed into what they class as resilient disciples. So only 10% of those who grew up within a faith tradition were actively engaged in their faith. So of this 10% of resilient disciples, they said that their faith had a meaningful impact on their life and that they were committed to, to following Jesus. And so this group is made up of individuals who are engaged in church community, who are discovering and growing and uh, their understanding of God's word and they're deepening their understanding of God and his mission for the world. And I don't know about you, but I find that pretty challenging. 10%. And Barna revealed that whilst 10% were considered to be resilient disciples, 38% fall into the habitual churchgoer category. And these are individuals who attend church about once a month, but don't really have any uh, beliefs or behaviours associated with intentional uh, discipleship. 
30% are considered to be nomads, and these are uh, individuals who identify as Christians but haven't been to church or engaged in any sort of discipleship in over six months. And our remaining 22% are considered prodigals, and these are individuals who wouldn't even identify as a Christian, having actively rejected their previous faith tradition. You know, whilst this is pretty tough to hear, this has actually been a really helpful resource for us, as the Barna Group are not just interested in looking at this, but actually how we can do this better. And how young Christians, along with their parents and their communities and their churches, can facilitate and grow resilient, lifelong faith. So Barna dug a little bit deeper because they wanted to understand what was it for those 10%? What was unique about their experience? What was unique about their story? What had they been passed on? And so I'd love to just take a moment to share with you these, these five uh, practices that Barna had discovered in this 10% of resilient disciples because I think it's, it's fascinating and can be really helpful for us as we pass on the baton of faith. And I'd encourage you simply to think of these things as um, spiritual scaffolding for a young soul or like the trellis that holds a young disciple in place as their roots can grow deep. And so the first uh, practice that was evident in every one of these resilient disciples was intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. In other words, every one of our resilient disciples had had their own relational and transformational experience with Jesus. They had encountered him for themselves and they were hungry to know more of him for themselves. And for our resilient disciples, Jesus had become more than just stories or scripture, but had become a part of everyday life, a friend, a leader, a Lord. The second common practice amongst our resilient disciples is meaningful relationships. So our resilient disciples had all formed deep, intentional relationships with people they wanted to be around and people they wanted to become like. And these diverse and intergenerational relationships provided a space for trust to deepen and for experiences to be shared. In other words, they had all found a place to belong. The third common practice amongst our resilient disciples was countercultural mission. So these disciples had learnt and been empowered to live as a faithful presence in the world by trusting God and living differently to cultural norms. Young people found purpose and discovered uh, meaning uh, as they engaged with God's mission in the world. The next one is quite interesting as well, cultural discernment. Barna discovered that every one of the resilient disciples had built the muscles of cultural discernment and had the capacity for complexity. In other words, they had the ability to compare and contrast the beliefs and the values and the customs that they saw in the world with the beliefs, the values and the customs that are a part of the world that we belong to, the kingdom of God. They were able to wrestle and reconcile with things And they understand that instantaneous information does not equate to wisdom. And lastly, the common trait amongst all of our resilient disciples was vocational discipleship. Resilient disciples understood that they are not just polishing brass on a sinking ship, but their work and their lives have meaning. You know, they've been modeled and encouraged to pursue Christ in every area of life, including career. And these individuals were usually encouraged uh, to follow ambition as an act of worship. 
And um, these resilients don't normally see things as sacred and secular, but as one integrated whole. So there you go, the five common practices to the 10% of resilient disciples. Now, I know that is um, a lot of information, but you know, as I reflect on some of this, I see these things in my own life as core experiences to my own discipleship. And I'd love for you just simply to take a moment to consider the question, who discipled you? Who was a core part of your journey to coming to know Jesus? Who passed on the baton of faith and wisdom to you? Who modeled and exemplified things like intimacy with Jesus and and meaningful relationships and so on and so forth? You know, for many of us, both individuals and communities come to mind. It's not just one person, but many. Maybe for you, you're thinking of a a grandparent or a parent or a a youth leader or a youth pastor or a kids pastor or a connect group leader. You know, we all had people who embodied and exemplified these. And you see, this is not about one person, but it's about many. And I think it's so important that we know as a community Uh, that growing resilient disciples, as I've already mentioned, is not something that happens in isolation and it's not something that happens by mistake. It's something that requires deep intentionality and partnership. And it's not about one person, but it's about a collective commitment to work together. You know, it's said that uh, it takes a village to raise a child, right? So we'll do this well as we do this together. And this is not about one person passing on the baton, but it's about a collective call as community, parents, and church. And that's why here at Riverview, we take very seriously the opportunity that we have to invest in the next generation. You see, for me here as the the generations pastor, like I don't see this as just some training gig so that one day I can be a senior minister. This is vocation. And I believe the work that we get to do in in faith formation of young people, is some of the most important work we can do. And so here at Riverview, we are committed to creating and facilitating spaces for the next generation to discover Jesus. Because we believe that that deep and life-transforming kind of discovery, you know what, it can happen in an instant, but most of the time it happens over a lifetime. And it usually happens through the vehicle of relationships. So in Riverview Kids, we are creating age-appropriate spaces that are conducive for discovery and experience. And early on, that looks like foundational symbols and principles. But as they grow, so does our approach. And we begin to tell stories and facilitate conversations and ask questions. And we work really hard to build a framework of faith as we set an example of worship, of faith, of hope, and of love. And we really encourage curious kids uh, because we wanna help our young people understand that church is the best place for your questions, not the worst place. And so as our kids graduate into Riverview Youth, we encourage even more discovery. We continue to tell stories, but we create more space for real life uh, experience and, and cultural discernment. And we aim to provide a space for our young people to make sense of the kingdom of God in light of the world that they experience around them. 
You know, we believe that creating spaces of of safety will encourage exploration and wrestle and questions. And as we do that, we'll see anti-fragile faith being formed in our young people, deep conviction and personalized faith. You see, in the 80s, there was this experiment that was done uh, in the desert called the biodome. And you might have heard of this before. And there was a bunch of scientists who were trying to create an environment that was conducive both for human life, animals, and, and plants. And so they literally created this massive biodome and they created this controlled experiment and everything worked really well in the biodome until one point, trees just started falling over, all over the place. And the scientists could not understand what was happening. Trees would grow to a certain height and then all of a sudden they would topple over. And the scientists eventually discovered the one natural phenomenon they did not put in the biodome was wind. And so what would happen is these trees would grow up to be a certain height, but because they hadn't experienced wind around them, they hadn't built roots that were strong and deep and resilient enough to, to withstand any sort of force. And so these trees would just topple over. You know, one thing we talk a lot about as a team is we really don't want our homes or our church to be a biodome where there's no wind at all, but we want to create resilient disciples. We want disciples whose roots go deep. And so what that looks like for us, it means talking about the hard things with our young people. It means having the conversations that they're inevitably going to have when they get to university or later life. Because I really believe that proactive discipleship is far better than reactive discipleship. And so our hope and our prayer is that as our teenagers graduate Riverview Youth after 18 years of investment and input and relationship through kids and youth, they are empowered and equipped to grow in and live out faith in the world as young adults. And you know what we know? We haven't got this perfect we have not got this down pat. And you know why? Because this is community. And we need one another to do it well. But I want you to know this evening that we are committed to the long haul with our young people. We really are. We are not about creating the perfect one Sunday experience or the perfect youth night, but we would much rather create six years of consistent community in which young people can be formed and raised. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day and I don't think disciples are either. And so passing the baton of faith uh, happens by the grace of God through a lot of intentionality, a lot of investment, a lot of time and a commitment to work together in community. And here's how I think we can do this together. Uh, whether you have kids of your own or, or not, I think we can all participate in this. And there's three ways that I think we can do this well together. And the first one is, in particular for you parents, the first one is to partner with us to partner together. I don't know if you know it, but I think you need us and we need you. And we wanna to work together. So help us help you by getting your teenagers, getting your kids here every week. Set an example of faith and consistency by being here. Help us by telling us what you need. You know, we're not just running programs because we like to run programs. We wanna raise disciples. So if there's information that can help us uh, form faith in your young person, talk to us. We want to partner together. We want to do this together. And, and, and I think that requires both of us investing in this. And so I would encourage you, you know, if you only come to church once a month, honestly, it's going to be pretty hard for us to help form faith in your young person. So I would encourage you to be here every week. 
Set an example of consistency for your young people. So partner together with us as we pass on the baton of faith. The second way we can uh, do this together in community, and this is honestly the most important thing, is to pray. You know, all of this is pointless if God doesn't move and get involved. And so we need to be praying for our young people. We need to be praying for these environments that are created. We need to be praying for parents and, and, and that people would come to discover Jesus. And we can't just do this as a once-off thing. This needs to be a, a commitment long-term. And so what I'd love for us to do right now is just kind of take a pause moment and actually do that, to pray for the people who are on the front lines passing the baton of faith. And so what I'm going to get um, us to do is, is just take a moment, firstly, to honour and celebrate some people. And those are the people who week in, week out are working with our young people here at Riverview. We have an incredible team of Riverview kids volunteers, of youth volunteers, and some young adult volunteers. And you know, almost all of them are launching for 2021 in two weeks' time. And so I would love for us in community to honour them, to celebrate them, and to pray for them as they serve our young people this year. So if you serve in any one of those teams, could you just stand up to your feet? If you serve in Riverview Kids, Riverview Youth, in Young Adults, can we honour and celebrate these people? Lots of the next generation. Hey, we really do love you guys. And um, we so appreciate what you are investing in our young people. And so we would love to just take the moment to kind of commission you and pray for you as you serve this year. But the second group I would love to just take a moment to pray for is, uh, is our parents. I mean, you guys, no, stay standing. Don't sit down. I'll embarrass you a little bit more. You guys are literally the ones, day in, day out, who are passing on the baton of faith. And I know it's not as simple as I've just talked about for a while. It's complicated. It's difficult. And it takes a lot of consistency and it takes a lot of grace. And so I want to invite you, if you're a parent of uh, maybe a kid all the way up to 21, or you have a 25-year-old who acts like a 15-year-old, you can stand as well. Could you just stand for me? Maybe if you are the primary caregiver of, of a young person, stand to your feet all across the room, please. Can we celebrate and honour all of our parents as well? And parents, I, I really do want you to know that we really want to partner with you. We want to support you in this. We want to help you in this. So help us by helping you. Let us know how we can be of support as we do this together. If you're sitting down, hey, you're not out of this. You're going to be the one stretching out your hands and praying for this, these people because maybe some of you have parented in the past and you know they need all the support they can get. So let's pray, hey? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you so much that for the love that we have, for the next generation, you have far more. You love these kids and these teenagers far more than we could ever. And so we just acknowledge that right now. And Lord, we thank you for your care and your support of the next generation, that you are calling them to come to discover you. And so we take a moment now to pray for our next generation teams. Lord, I pray for all of those individuals who are taking time out to, to serve, to speak life and hope and faith into our young people. God, I pray for great perseverance this year, for great strength this year as they serve. Lord, I pray that you would use them as a vessel of your grace to, towards young people this year. Lord, allow them to experience and serve in great joy as they see the fruit of their labour. And Lord, we take a moment as well to pray for every single parent in the room. 
We thank you for the family and the child that they represent. And Lord, I pray that your grace would be sufficient for them. Lord, as they raise their children in your ways, as they draw them nearer to you, God, I pray that you would give them great wisdom, you would give them great insight, and God, you would give them great patience. Lord, allow them to uh, set an example of faith. Allow them to lead their young people towards you. And we pray that in and through these parents and these volunteers, Lord, we would see resilient disciples raised. And we pray that in Jesus' name. You can say amen, amen. Hey, put your hands together one more time for all of our parents and our next-gen volunteers. Hey, we're almost done. The last way that we can all play a part uh, to get involved is to play a part. And you know what? You can do this in a couple of ways. The, the first is to give by serving, getting involved. You know, maybe you don't have kids of your own and you're like, I'd kind of like to do that passing the baton thing. Well, we need people to serve with our kids, with our youth every week. I mean, there's people out there right now looking after many of your kids. And so we need more volunteers. And so if you wanna pass the baton, if you wanna get involved in that way, I would encourage you straight after the celebration, go and have a conversation to the team at the Info Hub. And the second way that you can play a part, and this is the bit where everyone's like, oh, really? Is financially. Like if, if we're honest, you know, often we get up here and we do a giving segment as just a little segment. We don't often bring it into the main message. So here we go. You know, like honestly, that is why we give. So this stuff can happen. So our young people can come to know Jesus. And you know what? If there is anything worth giving to, it's that. And so I would encourage you, if you're not giving um, as consistently into this community, I would so encourage you to do that. Alternatively, if you are and you want to participate even more, we need uh, people to give money so that uh, students can go to camp. We have a number of students who finance is an issue for them getting to summer camp. And so I would encourage you to visit the guys out at the youth booth and make sure that all of our young people can go to camp. How many people went on a summer camp when they were younger? Yeah, and I know for many of you, they were formational experiences. And so we wanna make sure every one of our young people uh, can get to summer camp. Is that all right? You're doing okay? We're almost there. <laughs> Thanks, Cara. That's very nice of you. Um, so this is a call to community, right? It's a call to partner together, to pray and to participate. And I'd love to just close by reading out this passage from 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.5, this is Paul speaking to his young protege and talking about a great heritage. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. Man, I love that. That's beautiful. What, what a great inheritance to leave the next generation. Far better than anything of money, money value. What a great inheritance, faith and wisdom. You see, the reason I do what I do here as the generations pass, the reason I show up week after week and Friday night after Friday night and cheeseburger wrapper left in the back of my car after cheeseburger wrapper. It's not mine, I swear. The reason I, I, I do that is because I genuinely believe that we can pass the baton well. I genuinely believe that those who come after us can know Christ even more than we ever did. Those who get to stand on our shoulders can be closer to his heart than we ever did. And I think that is worth giving your life up for. That is worth sacrificing everything for in order that our young people would come to know Jesus. And so it's possible, it's doable, but it's gonna require a lot of investment and a lot of commitment to work Together, You see, disciples aren't mass-produced. They are handcrafted one at a time. 
You know, from generation to generation, God is good, and I know you believe that, but can we make sure that from generation to generation, people know that God is good? Yeah, amen, hey? Hey, I'd love to just take a moment to pray to close our time. I know that's been like a lot of information, so you're welcome, but let me just pray as we go. Lord, we thank you uh, that all of us are here by your grace, that all of us were the recipients of your great love and mercy as people pass the baton towards us. And so we pray, God, that we would be found faithful to you in doing our part in the journey as we pass on the baton of faith. So would you give us great strength and great wisdom to know what to do and then the courage to do it. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our generation and we believe that the same and greater will happen in the next. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, we'd love to stay connected. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using. To experience other messages, videos, live gatherings, or find out how you can belong at Riverview, visit us online at riverviewchurch.com. You can also like and follow us on Facebook and participate in our weekly live stream. Thanks again for listening.